Inspiration. Hi, everyone. You are listening to Start Inspired. I am your host, Samantha March. This is my podcast designed to give you a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation, helping you start inspired and stay inspired. Let's jump into today's episode. Well, hello. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Start Inspired. I am really excited to bring on another guest this week, and I have another author on the podcast. It is always so much fun for me to talk about authors. And this week, I am welcoming on Belinda Lay. It was so interesting to talk to her because not only is she an author, she had her book, Not That Rich, release in December, but she does a lot of other things. And if you know me or you listen to the podcast, you might know that I also have a lot of different passions on a lot of different things. I like to call myself a multi-passionate entrepreneur and I felt the same with Belinda. And it was so much fun to have a conversation with her on how we attempt to do it all, how we keep things in order, writing during a pandemic, uh, the publishing process for her. It was just such a blast to talk to her. I felt like we connected right away. She's also a lover of beauty. So of course I get really excited when anyone says that because that's a big part of my life too. And I hope that you enjoy listening to our conversation about writing, about diversity and how things are looking to change uh, now and in the coming years. And again, just trying to balance it all the best that we can. So Belinda Lay is a Southern California native and an avid reader of all genres from thriller to fantasy, but especially young adult novels. She's a Yale MBA candidate, proud Georgetown Hoya, managing director of an anti-bullying nonprofit, a software engineer, and a former strategy consultant. Okay. That's a little bit about Belinda. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Belinda Lay. All right. Hi, Belinda. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Samantha. Thanks so much for having me here today. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you. And before we jump in, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, of course. Um, So hi, everyone. My name is Belinda Lay. I'm the author of Not That Rich, which recently came out December of last year. Um, I'm a Southern California native, and I currently reside in Dallas, Texas. Um, Besides writing, I also work full-time as a software engineer for Citibank, and I'm the managing director of act to change as well, an anti-bullying nonprofit Side note, I'm also a huge fan of skin and beauty products, so I absolutely love your YouTube channel, Samantha. Oh my gosh, well, thank you. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, it you do like a little bit of everything. <laughs> Definitely jack of all trades here. Yeah, that's amazing. I love hearing that though, because I'm someone who, so I started blogging in 2009, so I've been in the you know, social and digital space for a while. And I would always hear people say, you have to niche down and you have to pick just one thing to talk about. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like I've always been against that. I'm like, why is it not normal for a woman to have a ton of different interests and things that make us excited? <laughs> Exactly. I think um, I'm a strong believer of pursuing your passions. If it means Mm -hmm. one, go for it. If it means 10, like also go for it. Um, There's just so much going on in the world to explore. And I I think like that means a lot to me when I hear you say that it's um, you find that similarity as well, because I hear that from a lot of um, females, especially but then they feel pressured to fit in a box. And I just don't um, believe in that those types of boxes that we create. Yeah. 
Yep. I, I absolutely agree. I love hearing other women say that too. I feel like I've had quite a few people on the podcast who are like, I do A, B, and C, and I love all of them. And I'm just like, yes, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start off chatting about your book, Not That Rich. And I love how I saw it described as Gossip Girl meets Crazy Rich Asians, because I love both of those. So I wanted to ask, why was this a book you wanted to write? Yeah, so I wrote Not That Rich through the lens of being the book that I wish I had as a high schooler. So even when Mm -hmm. I was coming up with the name, it was like this sassy, like, it's like not that rich, like how you Mm -hmm. would um, speak when you're in high school. And growing up, there wasn't much Asian American representation in pop culture. Um, I think there's a lot more now. We have like Bling Empire coming out on Netflix and Crazy Rich Asians. Um, but for me at the time, even when there was an Asian American actor on TV or in a book, I felt like it didn't reflect my own experience of being a second generation daughter of Chinese immigrants. I wanted to write a book that encompassed the glitz and glam that I sought out in books, which is where I got the idea of Gossip Girl from. Um, And then also give readers a glimpse into the diversity and perspectives and experiences that can be found in the world of being Asian American. And I grew up in a predominantly Asian American suburb um, called the San Gabriel Valley East of L.A. And I thought that was just such a a unique upbringing and a very fortunate one. And that was something I wanted to share with the world. Lastly, I really wanted to make the book fun just because um, 2020, when I was writing this book, like there were so many memes and videos online just joking about how awful it was. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I wanted was to cast more seriousness or darkness. I wanted something lighthearted that... Um, teenagers, youth, or anyone who picked up the book would be able to read um, and still be able to analyze their own identities without going through another existential crisis in between like SATs and 80 other stressors out there. Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. I'm also really impressed that you wrote a book in 2020 because I started writing my ninth in 2020 in February, actually. And then it just like all came crashing down. (laughs) So I'm like, wait, anyone who says they actually was able to write in 2020, I'm like, way to go. (laughs) I'm so jealous. Being cooped up at home and watching almost all of Netflix certainly helped my cause there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. And I love how you said like you wanted to make it fun because I've had a few other authors on the podcast too. And we've talked about, you know, do you write in current events into your stories? Do you gloss over them completely? Do you just mention it in a passing like that time that we all had to avoid each other? Like, we've been trying to work our ways through that of how the COVID pandemic will eventually play into our novels. And it's, I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about, but yeah, I feel like a lot of people have been on the trajectory of let's write happy things and make people smile and entertain people in any way that we can. (laughs) Exactly. It was, it was almost like nostalgic writing about a time that was not pandemic where everyone Mm -hmm. was wearing masks so um it was a relief for me like a little getaway yeah yeah I bet 
Well, I know one of my like most asked questions and feedback that I get from listeners, I think a lot of people are really fascinated about like the author life and author journey. I always have people asking me to talk about the publishing stories from authors. People seem very interested to hear about that. So I wanted to ask, can you talk more about your specific publishing journey and how everything came to be? Yeah, and that's like a great question because I think everyone has their own publishing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I was lucky enough to have gotten reached out to by a uh, professor from Georgetown named Eric Custer. And Georgetown is where I went for undergrad. And he was talking to me about the possibility of writing a book. And there was a lot of different ideas that were floated around because I really wanted to share that Asian American experience an identity. And I actually thought about a nonfiction book first. I, I was going to go full heads on into research about the development of the San Gabriel Valley, about triathlic enclaves and um, just identity forming in general. And it wasn't until I actually started interviewing people for my research about their upbringings, what it was like growing in a predominantly Asian American community, what it was like growing up in one where you were the only Asian American. And I was like, you know what? The common thread here is that high school is such a pivotal and transformative experience for everyone, like Asian Americans aside. And I just felt compelled to really be able to share um, the teenage experience of it all. And one thing led to another, it became a fictional novel. And then one thing led to another again. And then I was like, you know what? Gossip Girl meets Crazy Rich Asians. Like this is where I want to go. So it's been quite a journey for sure. And I think um, I'm definitely still learning on this journey. I'm really looking forward to seeing where this all goes and working with New Degree Press, a hybrid publisher, which allows me to keep 100% of my author rights. Like as a minority female author, I feel like ownership over my book and story is super important. Um, So it'd be interesting to see like what I can do with all of these different possibilities. I'm curious about, so to talk more a little bit about a hybrid publisher, So what makes them different from like traditional publishing or self-publishing? Yeah. So the biggest difference is that I get to keep a hundred percent of my author rights, like in the traditional publishing route, um, usually there's like the big five publishing houses, like um, Harper Collins, Random House, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You'll usually get an agent and they'll take a percentage cut and then they'll pitch your book. And then um, if you sign Uh, The publishing house gets a percentage cut. And eventually, um, especially as a new author, your author rights are like whittled down little by little. Um, And also the process is much longer. Like I was able to um, get through a lot of the publishing process in 2020, thanks to the fact that um, New Degree Press, they were really able to connect me with a cover designer, a layout designer, and have that entire process process set up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, However, it is still very much like that self-publishing aspect where you are your own writer, you are your own marketer. Um, I'm like a web designer for myself. I'm a publicist. It's like the wearing all of these different types of hats too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's quite, so I am, I'm fully self-published and it really is. I mean, 
it's such a beast to sometimes because you're your own everything and everything falls back to you in a way though. I kind of like it as someone with a, my degree is in business and entrepreneurship. Like I've always known that I've wanted to work for myself. So I also enjoy it because I have the final say in everything. I have the final say in the cover. I have the final say in what the characters are doing. I have the final say in everything. But sometimes I'm like, oh, it would be really nice if someone kind of like took over the marketing part for me right now because I'm tired. <laughs> like, yeah, marketing is the hardest part. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I still do marketing on my own. And as a new author, I mean, I'm sure I could learn a lot from you, Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I'm just like, okay, so do I post on Instagram like daily? I, I'm looking yeah. up data reports on like, when is the best time to post and all of that stuff. And I'm just like, you know what? I, I still have a full-time job. I'm going to just post when I could find the time to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, th- yeah, that's that's great. It's It's been interesting. Um, I used to actually own what was called like a blog tour company. So blog tours are still a big thing now, but even back around like 2010, 2011, even before I published my own book, um, it was, you know, book tours are really common for authors, not necessarily during this time, but in the past, book tours were really popular where authors would go around the country or around the world and you know, meet at bookstores and do book signings, then meet with people and read their books. But indie authors never got that opportunity. You know, we are completely self-funded most of the time. And a lot of us can't just go on a world tour. (laughs) Uh, Can't make that happen. So blog tours became really popular. And that I actually ran a company for several years where I would connect the indie authors to the book bloggers and help them get out their marketing that way. And it's just been interesting over the last 10 years to see how much has really changed in the digital space and how many more to me I just feel like there's so many more opportunities for authors these days to find an audience and to connect with them because in 2010 we had you know Facebook Twitter was just getting introduced blogs were really a huge thing i mean that's where i was going every day to find information or whatever it may be i was always going to blogs to see what was going on and now we have it's I mean, it feels like everything at our fingertips, which can be super overwhelming. And for me, as not only an author, but a content creator and an influencer, you know, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram stories and YouTube and Reels and just like all of these different places. And it can be really overwhelming. But at the same time, it's also really cool because there's just so many opportunities to connect with your readers. So it's just been interesting to, to watch it change and grow. 100%. It's definitely this mixture of having so much agency and access and empowerment, while also, yes, it definitely is overwhelming. I actually created my very first TikTok um, account (laughs) while I was uh, starting off to market this book. And it's been a wild ride just like figuring out TikTok. And um, I don't see myself as old or anything but then when I started (laughs) using TikTok I was just like you know what I am definitely like I need to catch up on the up and comings of everything right right I am the same way I'm 33 and I just I mean I'm like you know I'm 33 like awesome and then I go on there and I'm like oh I'm 33 (laughs) like it totally changes (laughs) whenever I'm on there but Man, I feel like I do learn a lot on that TikTok app. I have like just like little hacks around the house. I'm like, oh, they didn't teach me that in school. <laughs> now I know. 
sure. it's like we're all trying to work together over there, help each other out. It's so funny. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, speaking, so I know, you know, you're a new author, but have, do you have any thoughts of another novel? Are you working on one or would maybe the nonfiction really come to play? Do you think? Um, so I 100% have a lot of different ideas. So this is more of like a yes and no response. I am taking a short break from writing, um, just after all of the publishing process and really just wanting to focus on marketing, not that rich, um, it has fallen to the wayside, unfortunately. However, I am planning on later on this year to start writing a sequel for Not That Rich. Um, title to be decided. Um, but actually, I initially was planning on having Not That Rich be a standalone novel. But once I began writing the final section of my book, I realized that there was still so much more left unsaid. Um, in my head, actually, a lot of my characters have become real people, and I feel like their stories and personal growth have only just begun, and I would just not be doing them any justice if I didn't continue writing about them. So I definitely want to introduce readers to the world beyond Winchester High, this fictional high school um, that is the center or focal point of Not That Rich, and then dive deeper in um, to the lives of the old and new students um, and maybe actually introduce college into it as well. Um, and of course there's always drama. Um, beyond that, I actually write quite a bit on the side. Um, so through act to change the nonprofit, we always have content going up and things like that. Um, maybe not directly from me, but I feel as if I'm, there's always content floating around me and I'm sure you feel the same way as a content creator yeah. yourself. That is true. Sometimes uh, I, I uh, interviewed someone a couple of weeks ago for the podcast and, you know, the name is Start Inspired. And I like to ask people where they find their inspiration or what they could say to inspire people. And I thought it was really interesting that this author said, um, that she feels like she's gotten to a point where she really doesn't have to look for inspiration anymore. It's just always all around her. Like, you know, pick up your phone, like something's going to be there, go online, something's going to be there. But yeah, I mean, we are definitely in a content driven society at the moment and there's pros and cons. I mean, there's pros and cons to everything. So there's definitely pros and cons to it. But um, yeah, sometimes it's like, for me, I really resonated with that because I was like, it does sometimes feel impossible not to feel inspired or motivated in some way every day because someone's sharing a story or just sharing a part of their life. And yeah, it definitely, I always have a million ideas running through my head at every given moment, it seems like. Right. It's, it's like as if there's not enough hours in a day to mm -hmm. just really put everything on paper. Um, mm -hmm. I love that though. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I feel like as a creative, it's such a fun time right now because when I was younger, I mean, even before the internet and social media, it just, I, I kind of always felt like out of place with my, even from like a young child, I always felt like I had so many ideas or I wanted to do all of these different things. And it was like, nope, when you grow up, these are the five things that you can be, <laughs> you know, like these are the five things that all kids should aspire to be. And now it's just such a fun time because it just feels like there is no limit. Like I want to say the sky's the limit, but it's like there is, it feels like there is no limit. And it's, I think, a really exciting time. 
For sure. That's actually one of the reasons why I was attracted to coding. Um, I know we're talking about writing here, but I found that coding also, similar to writing, gave me so much agency and so much power to design and create whatever my brain decided to um, spit out (laughs) at the moment. So it does, I, I think technology especially gives us so many different types of possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's that's fascinating to me. Anyone who knows coding, I mean, <laughs> as someone who's had a website for as many years as I have, I'm like, I feel like I should be better at this, <laughs> but I am not. I wanted to talk about a statistic that I saw um, on your Instagram and on your website, but it's it said in 2019, approximately nine percent of main characters in U.S. books were of Asian descent. 12% were black and only 3% of total books included an LGBTQIAP character. Do you think we'll see strides in that area in 2021 and beyond? Or do you think we're already seeing it or lacking? I'm really curious to get your thoughts. This is a great question because on the one hand, there have been strides made in having a greater diversity and representation in the publishing industry. I actually think self-publishing opened a lot of doors um, for allowing marginalized authors to be able to get their voices heard without demanding a seat at the table of more traditional publishing houses. And they do tend to be slower to adapt to greater demands for diversity. And I think it might just have to do with the general makeup of um, who is picking out the books and things like that. Um, but I, I do think that they are slowly having that push towards um, meeting demands of what readers want today of the books that are coming out. And um, especially actually with the point of self-publishing too, I, I think like a lot of the publishing houses are realizing that they really need to adapt to the landscape of today. Otherwise, um like on the business standpoint, you see a lot of like mergers and acquisitions going on in the publishing industry. Um, so I do have hope, but I am hesitant to say that I could see a ton of strides being, being made immediately. Just maybe I'm jaded, but I have seen things, especially in the publishing industry, be quite slow. Um, but I will add, though, that... When I do flip on TikTok, for instance, um, which we all know, like Gen Z dominates, mm-hmm. and on top of running youth events for Act to Change, I get really optimistic and inspired about what uh, or how demanding and the activism that might happen in the space for social equity and inclusion. There are just so many youth out there that are so connected with their roots and um, they really take action on what they want. It, it really gives me hope and it pushes me to also make the same types of demands. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I I see that a lot on TikTok too. And it's something that really impresses me because I think to like what I was doing when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And to see some of the kids over there who with very large platforms. I mean, I, I can't even imagine having a platform that large at such a young age, but the topics that they are talking about, and sure, sometimes they're doing it while doing like a dance and putting text over it, but it gets people to watch it and it gets people to read it and it gets people. And I'm like, it, 
I'm, I'm also, I, I try to look at things in a positive light. So I, when I see that, I, my first thought is, you know, hope for change. And, and if I, I think it kind of always falls back to our next generation. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the news right now about minimum wage and things like that. And as I got older and I started to learn and understand more, it was like, how is this, how has this become a thing now? Like what were the people before me doing? How are they not fighting for something like minimum wage getting raised? Like yeah. it's just, you know, all of these things. So when I think of those that are coming after me and then already being able to see them, you know, talk at least even just talking about issues um, and so publicly, it definitely, it gives me, it gives me some hope. <laughs> for sure. Yes. I, I think like that, um, we always have to look to like the next generation um, or not always. I mean, we should trust in ourselves too, but I do yeah. love working with youth because that type of optimism, um, you just really can't get that anywhere else. <laughs> or maybe I'm just saying that as if like, as I grow older, like you experience <laughs> more. So maybe you're a little bit more cynical. Um, but when you're younger, you're just like, yes, like everything is possible. Let's go do your best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that attitude. Well, I wanted to ask you, what would be your advice to someone who wants to make sure that they're not only their bookshelf, but beyond is more diverse? Full disclosure here, I am still working on diversity in my bookshelf more. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's not to say that it's not diverse, although I don't know what that, I guess, like rating requirement would be. I do think that we should always think of diversifying a bookshelf, though, as something that we're constantly working on. It, it should mm -hmm. be always a work in progress. Um, books for me have always been a way to explore other worlds and having a diverse bookshelf should be seen as a gateway to explore the universe. Um, so it, it's a win-win for all when we're talking about being able to uplift other perspectives while being able to learn ourselves. Um, although in the past, I'm, I've 100% been guilty of picking out books solely uh, to have them as my happy place, whether that's like YA, fantasy, um, or by authors that remind me of me. It wasn't until I was attending a solidarity conversation um, held by Active Change, actually, with an incredible and um, amazing poet named Kwame Alexander, which you should 100% check him out if you haven't already. Um, I realized that in my wild pursuit of seeking out books with characters that remind me of me, I had neglected to paint the other side of the world that I would really like to see more of. And that's books by other BIPOC authors. Um, BIPOC, BIPOC, by the way, B-I-P-O-C stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Authors. So that's a newer acronym that has been going around. Um or not newer, I won't say newer, but I have seen that become more mainstream recently. And I, I think mm -hmm. that actually says a lot about what uh, people are pushing for. And I personally neglected reading more BIPOC voices because I was so desperately pursuing my own. And I think when we make intentional steps to seek out BIPOC authors, it really allows you to gravitate towards, okay, I know what my happy place is, 
these are the books that I like to read, but why is that? Like, it does give you a, a sense of self-reflection. And that was something that I really um, thought about in 2020, especially with everything going on. And now I've taken much more deliberate steps where before I reach for a book, I actually go and filter out BIPOC authors first because I'm just like, okay, this is something that I need to work on personally. And I invite everyone who is listening to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to ask that question because it's something that I too have been trying to do better on. And I've been having conversations with others about um, just kind of like how we're doing and keeping each other updated and it 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 makes me sad in a way like it makes me feel bad personally that i didn't really put i didn't i don't feel like i put an emphasis on that in the past because like you said a lot of times i was gravitating towards books that i could see myself in and i've always loved reading i grew up with the babysitters club and i've said before in my podcast that i truly feel like the babysitters club books shaped a part of my life. I, you know, I, they they were such wholesome books. I kind of learned like right from wrong and what to do in these situations. And as someone who comes from a very broken home and a very troubled past, I really felt like reading something like the babysitter's club had a pivotal part in getting me to where I am today. So I've always loved books for that reason, but especially in 2020, I realized like, whoa, like I could be doing so much better because like you said, one thing I I love about books too, is they're almost like a a portal to, to travel somewhere else. And travel is another huge passion of mine. I love going places and I love learning about different cultures and seeing how even something like a school system works somewhere else or what foods people eat, or it just, it's all of it is so fascinating to me. And so when you get to read a book and you get to learn about other cultures. Like I just finished a book um, where the main characters are from Nigeria. Reading about cultures and traditions there, I was like, whoa, like I never knew such a thing. And it's just, it's fascinating to me. So um, I feel like even though there wasn't intent on my part to be leaving any groups out, it's also not an excuse to not make a change going forward. So as a book blogger, I get, I'll say like 20 emails a day for book review (laughs) requests. And then I try to filter them out and see which ones are best for me and the blog and what I can fit into my schedule. And I, I never really went to look up authors. I would just, you know, what, whatever caught my attention, I was like, let's do it. But now I'm actually researching the authors and I'm trying to make sure when people go to my blog, do they also see themselves there? Or is it only one group of people that are like, oh, this is this is my place. This is my place because that's not what I want my blog to be. So I really wanted to ask that question because it's something that I personally am striving for myself also. I love that so much. And I really appreciate it, honestly, like just the way that um, you just describe the entire process because a lot of times I, I hear this from friends, from myself, <laughs> from acquaintances, where it's like there's a sense of guilt about mm-hmm. not doing enough. And I don't think that um, I, I think we should grasp onto that guilt and then like take action with it. I don't think we should be beating ourselves up because of it, because, um, you know, Everyone has internalized 
preconceptions biases. It's just like how we've grown up and environments that we're in. But if we're conscious of um, areas that we could work on and areas that we could make greater progress in, I, I think that makes all of the difference. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point also. Mm. I love that. That was really interesting to talk about. Um, I also, I really wanted to touch on act to change because when I was looking into this, it's something that was just so inspiring to me, but so you're the managing director of act to change. It's an anti-bullying nonprofit and focuses on Asian American and Pacific Islander communities. So I wanted to ask how did act to change come about and what does your role look like? Yeah, um, I love this question so much because Act to Change is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I am the managing director for it, along with three others. Um, and it's a fully volunteer board. We actually have quite a long saga of how it came to be. But Act to Change first started out as a national public awareness campaign on bullying prevention amongst youth. And this was under President Obama's White House initiative on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. That was an incredible mouthful. So it's called (laughs) WIAPI for short. And WIAPI still exists in the government today. But um, this was all in October 2015. And of course, once the administration changed, it began, um, we began this process of, okay, like, is this going to continue? Is this going to end here? And ultimately, um, I was not part of the nonprofit that initially formed. The co-founder was Rebecca Lee Malik Pancholi, who is an actor and activist himself, um, and Jill Yu. And they created Act to Change as a nonprofit. And then it officially launched. And where I come into the picture was that actually prior to Act to Change launching under WIAPI, I was working as a senior intern there spearheading the launch of the AAPI Bullying Prevention Task Force. And that was a coordinated cross-agency effort. So I was in this world as well. And then once it became a nonprofit, I was involved with it and then the rest was history from there. Um, For my role, it's again a scenario where I'm wearing many hats um, because (laughs) Act to Change is a rapidly expanding nonprofit. And again, we're fully volunteers. So this is like everyone's second job. Um, I'm responsible for various initiatives. Um, So Homeroom with Tan France, that's one of our series where Tan France conducts virtual school visits to talk about bullying that just our first round just ended yesterday. And that's something that I help lead. Um, We also had a recent bullying survey survey in collaboration with next shark and Admirasia. So these are just some of the initiatives. Then I could be hopping on calls about fundraising. I could be making act to change TikTok videos. I'm also the in-house developer. So I manage the website acttochange.org and our digital campaigns. Um, So definitely keeping me busy here. (laughs) But I think it's really worth it when I see um, the youth that we're impacting, especially wrapping up Homeroom with Tan yesterday. Tan France is incredible. Um, But just being able to um, hear all of the different thoughts and 
getting the chance to read the thank you notes about the impact too. That just makes me feel like, you know what, like, this is why I dedicate so much time to this. It's completely worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How, (laughs) this is a question that I get a lot too. And sometimes I have like a love hate relationship with the question, but how do you do so many things? (laughs) Like what does your day to day look like? I get this question a lot too. (laughs) Um, It involves, I will say many screens. This is like from a very tangible tactical standpoint, I will be on like multiple screens at the same time. I'll have my personal laptop open, my work laptop. I think working from home has helped my productivity in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And Honestly, sometimes I wonder that myself too. <laughs> my my day to day is filled still with like a lot of downtime. I make sure I have time for self care because mm-hmm. I have had points where I've burnt out, and that's like never good for anyone and not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- also have a cat and dog who keep me really happy and also really busy. But when I look back at it, it, it never feels like I had to. Um, desperately grab for time I think it's because I always feel so motivated and inspired by the things that I do where it's just all fun to me so in a way like self-care is like sitting on these homer with tan sessions and hearing youth uh, talk about how they're battling bullying on campus and I'm just like wow like this is amazing (laughs) Um, so I'm not sure if that was like a good answer or full answer to the question because I'm still wondering that daily, but I will say that it, as long as you love what you're doing, it doesn't feel like I am squeezing time or out of time for anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like we answer in a really similar way because sometimes too, when people are like, how do you do it all? I'm like, honestly, I don't know. (laughs) Like sometimes I lay down at night and I'm like, wow, I really did a lot today. How'd I do that? And, uh, but there's also definitely been times where I have burnt out and I've, um, I was actually live on Instagram yesterday talking about how I plan and schedule my days because I was saying how I used to do it. I was burning myself out every week and I was like, wait a second, like what's going on? And I wasn't including enough time for self care and to not have a screen in my face, whether it be a computer, a phone, a Kindle, because you know, even though I love reading so much, it technically is also a part of my job. So even when I have my Kindle and I'm just reading, it's not necessarily just downtime for me. So I was really trying to work hard to rearrange my schedule so I could keep, you know, being productive and and getting things done without burning out by a Thursday every week. But yeah, I'm I just hearing you talk about so many different things, it, it always makes me curious to ask women who are so busy, you know, how how they best do it. And yeah, because it's it's hard, but like you said, when you love what you do and you're also really inspired by what you do, you know, for me, I, I can remember the a point in time where I woke up one day, and this was a few years ago. But my first thought was, I can't wait to go to work. Like, I can't wait to see what emails came through. Like, this is so exciting. It was like every day you never knew what opportunity was going to be there. You never knew what was going to be in your inbox. You'd never know what you're going to see. And it kind of like stopped me in my tracks that I was like, I wake up excited to go to my job every single 
day. And I know that not everyone can say that. And it just makes me think like, wow. (laughs) Exactly. It's definitely exhausting, but it's also a privilege to be able Mm -hmm. to be like, yes, I I love what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, But the whole screen thing and things like that. I will say in 2020, I had to get glasses. Good vision runs in my family. And unfortunately, my vision deteriorated. (laughs) I was surrounded by so many screens. Um, So that is actually just like a direct example of what happens when you just like overburn yourself. Yep. Yep. Oh, man. I know I got some blue light glasses and I try to wear them as often as I can because I'm like, oh, oh, boy. It seems like it's never, never ending. For sure. For sure. Oh, well, I wanted to wrap up with our final question and I've kind of touched on this throughout our conversation also, but, you know, especially through my platforms, I I connect with a lot of people that, especially right now and last year, they genuinely care about doing good for themselves and others. And what would you say to inspire those who maybe sometimes feel like they aren't doing enough or they're just simply not sure where to start? I think this question actually did I um, directly connects with what we were just talking about in terms of finding self-care mm-hmm. and burnout time, because um, one of the things that I realized, especially during the book writing process, was this idea of a support group, um, having family, friends, partners who are able to support and motivate you throughout the journey, but also tell you like, hey, you've been kind of just like working nonstop. You need to take Mm -hmm. care of yourself. So having cheerleaders behind you, um, it seriously makes a difference. And I'm all about using your own willpower to get something started and see it to completion. But especially on rough days, you just really need someone to remind you that you're 100% good enough there and now and always for them. Um, and this doesn't always include humans too. Like my pets, they're they're constantly just like loving me unconditionally, except for my dog. He's a little grumpy sometimes. <laughs> um, but it, it's like the little things um, that will really help you get through the day when you're feeling like, wait, um, where do I start? Talk yeah. to someone and they might give you a couple of ideas. So, so that's one strategy. The second one is a little bit more abstract. Um, there's a lot of insecurities, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, especially for women. And when I began writing Not That Rich, all I could think about was like, wow, are people going to find this book dumb? Who is going to read it? Who would even care? And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was like, you know what? So what if there are haters out there? Even if there's one person, like one teenager out there who gets a kick out of the book, then I'm a happy camper. And Mm -hmm. once I changed my mindset about that, that's when writing became less about um, writing for others and more about writing for myself. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great advice. I really connect with a lot of what you said there, too. Um, And even sometimes like the last thing that you said of like changing your mindset, it's I think sometimes that can sound really simple, but it can it can really be a, a lot sometimes to change a mindset, no matter what it is that it is that you're struggling with. I remember I went through 
um, a big change last year and trying to change my mindset on several different things that I felt like would help me personally and professionally. And, um, like it wasn't an overnight thing, but sometimes, sometimes just being able to change your mindset can be such a huge thing. So I think that was really great what you said. Um, well, before we go, do you want to let the listeners know where they could find you and get their own copy of the book? Yes. Um, so I am most active on Instagram at B-Lay, which is B-L-E-I underscore rights. Um, I also do have a Twitter account. I don't check it as much, but it mm-hmm. is the exact same handle, B-Lay underscore rights. And then I could also be reached through email at blay.rights at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, for the book, it is on Amazon. It is on Barnes & Nobles. It is on the Nook. Um, so lots of different avenues. But I, I do know almost everyone uses Amazon these days. So yeah. <laughs> probably the most common way to find it, for sure. Yeah. Oh, and then, of course, the website, um, which I manage myself, it is notthatrich.com. Perfect. All right. Well, I will have all of that listed out in the show notes. And thank you so much, Belinda, for coming on. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you, Samantha. It's been a pleasure. All right. Another big thank you to Belinda for coming on the podcast. It was so much fun to talk to her and just learn about all the different things that we had in common and hear about her experiences as a writer and how she juggles so many other things that she does. It was so fascinating to learn about Act to Change. And again, everything is going to be linked in my show notes. If you want to connect with Belinda, if you want to look into uh, Act to Change, if you want to purchase the book, of course, everything is going to be in the show notes. So thank you so much, Belinda for coming on. Thank you so much for listening to this one. If you want to rate, review, that always helps so much. Or if you want to share it, it always, word of mouth is such a big thing for podcasts. So I always like to reshare or retweet anytime I see someone is listening to an episode of the podcast. But that is it for today and until next week. Mm